0: Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB. Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 136. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Continuing our two week countdown and celebration as we look towards the future and the reopen of Disneyland. Last week we talked about The Incredibles. This week, naturally, we talk about The Incredibles 2. 2018, this film has a very special place in our hearts when it comes to our own Disneyland experience.
1: Right, you're looking to the future, and I just keep looking back and reminiscing about our trip. Uh, with this film in particular, I mean, we picked The Incredibles because it does remind us of our first time at Pixar Pier, but we got to go to Disneyland in November of 2018, and that was about five months after the release of Incredibles. Yeah. Uh, so, you know... Num Num cookie from the movie was still pretty fresh, and I can't even tell you how many times we must have strolled out a lamplight lounge and went to go grab a cookie. And uh, by the
0: way, because they they are they're better so, at Disneyland, they are so much better at Disneyland. I did. There's a
1: difference
0: because they're slightly under. They're slightly undercooked, I think, at Disneyland. Like that's not a good selling point. No, 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 no. But they're they're just softer and and they're they're m- moist and they're melty the ones at disneyland they're more Disney ooey World, gooey the ones at, what the d- ooey gooey? yeah i mean you're going to criticize how <laughs> i'm going to explain a cookie and you're going to go it's ooey gooey um but yeah okay fine your way that's you're, what i want a warm cookie to be
1: ooey gooey i want the the chocolate all melty you sound like a six-year-old <laughs>
0: But, yes, if we're going to categorize it as something, I suppose ooey-gooey's just fine. But, like, they're just so much better. And I didn't think that anything could be better than anything we got at Walt Disney World. But that cookie—and it's like, it sounds so stupid because it's a cookie. But that cookie— is the, like, it's the only thing that I could think of. Like, my God, it is so much better on this side of the country. So I am just happy to live in a world where the proper cookie num-num is back.
1: It really was all you could talk about. I mean, I know you love the Incredicoaster, but when we came back from that trip, it was all about the cookie num-num.
0: Yeah. When the Incredicoaster runs, of course. When it runs, it's great, but it does break down a lot.
1: That was very hit or miss. Uh, But anyway, speaking of Pixar Pier and the Lamplight Lounge, if you want to go and pretty up your adult beverages, definitely check out our friends at the Hidden Mickey Supply Co., Their products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. So you can visit Instagram or Etsy, search for the Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs. And they are releasing some new designs very soon. So I'm excited about that.
0: That is very exciting. So... This film takes place exactly where the first film left off. We don't miss a beat. The Incredibles and Frozone stop the Underminer from destroying City Hall, but do not catch him, leading to the shutdown of the superhero relocation project. Violet's crush, Tony Ridinger, sees her without her mask, And so Rick Dicker has his memory erased at the request of Mr. Incredible. Businessman Winston Dever, owner of DevTech, along with his sister Evelyn, approach the Supers and propose recording their missions on tape to show the public that they can be trusted again, and they specifically want Elastigirl to be the face of the project. She reluctantly agrees to leave home to participate, leaving Bob at home to help the kids with their Day to day. While Helen excels at her new job, Bob finds being a stay at home parent to be very hard between helping Dash with his homework, keeping track of Jack Jack's new powers, and trying to support Violet and her broken heart because she had a date set up with Tony. And when his memory was erased, the memory of her was erased, which she is very, very upset with Bob when she finds out that that is what happens. So, Helen... Meanwhile, he's doing battle and defeats the screenslaver, the villain that's hypnotizing people, but something does not seem right about how easy it was to find him and defeat him. Dever's meanwhile has unearthed new supers and is intent on making them legal again. Bob, unable to control Jack Jack, takes him to Edna Mode, who fits him in a new suit that can be controlled by Bob using a remote control. Meanwhile, we learn that the pizza delivery man that Helen captured was not the real screen slaver, and that Evelyn was controlling him using hypnosis goggles, which she then puts on Hel- uh, Helen after she is exposed as the real screen slaver. We also learn that she holds a grudge against supers that were unable to save her father, and wishes to sabotage her brother's plans and put an end to any hope of the superhero legalization project. Because they were all fans of Supers, and when they had a home uh, 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 breaking and entering, Instead of hiding, the father called the Supers who couldn't get there on time. The father died and the mother soon dies of a broken heart. So she's had this grudge for quite some time. She puts the goggles on the newly found Supers and tricks Bob into meeting her, telling him that Helen is in trouble and she puts him under her hypnosis as well. The hypnotized Supers arrive at the Incredibles' home, which was being lent to them by Winston Dever and they take Frozone under their control. However, the kids escape and set off to save their parents. On board Devers' yacht, the Everjust, supers and world leaders have gathered to legalize supers again, but Evelyn unleashes her plan and the supers wreak havoc. The kids arrive and Jack Chack takes the goggles off of Helen, and slowly Bob, Lucius, and the rest of the supers are restored to normal. Evelyn leaves the ship, traveling towards, uh, and she, well, she leaves the ship, and the ship is now traveling towards the shore at a high rate of speed, causing mass chaos, and she escapes on a Plane, She is pursued and defeated by Helen, while the rest of the Supers eventually stop the yacht, just as it reaches shore. Evelyn is arrested, the Supers are made legal again, and Violet finally gets to go on her date with Tony, but not before the Incredibles, as a family, pursue some more bad guys in town. I love that this literally picks off... Picks up where the first film left off. It does not miss a beat at all.
1: That was going to be my first question. See, and I thought that was kind of an elephant in the room. Did they get it right by doing that? Um, I do agree with you. Because I think that... I, I mean, did I think that they were going to do an actual real-time 14-year jump? Especially with these kids? No way, because then even Jack Jack, who is significantly younger, would have been too old. Like he would have been in high school by that point. So there's, and you'd lose the entire humor of this movie. Right. Um. So I definitely think that that was a smart choice, not fast forwarding too much. But it was, and still is, in some ways, very surprising that they would do it just back to back like that. Not a lot of films. I, I mean, really. I think this is the only one of its kind that kind of picked up a sequel like that. Back to the Future.
0: That's the only one. Oh, fair. One. Okay. But now, see, that's that's kind of, and I haven't talked about Back to the Future in a while. <laughs> so, yay. Um, but that's, but that is a film that is of its own caliber. And it's of its own classification, much like this. So it works when they did it there, and it works that they do it here. The only weird thing is that they recast Jennifer in the second movie, so <laughs> Elizabeth Shue is in it, so they had to basically reshoot the entire end of the first movie. And it's not its not seamless, but it's pretty damn close. That's the only film I can remember, though, that picks up exactly where it off, leaves off, because even my beloved Ghostbusters, they don't do that in the second movie. It'll be interesting in the third. But like those are films that, even in the Batman movies and in the Avengers too, most of those movies, as their sequels wear on, they're kind of sequels that are in real time.
1: Right. But I think that that really more than anything else has to do with the storytelling. And in this case, it totally worked, especially because they spend the entire length of this film dealing with that same fallout of the supers being underground. And we're going to, we're going to unpack that quite a bit. Um I think it was really brilliant to start from Tony's POV because that was a clever way to get everybody up to speed without having to see our main characters rehash it. And I'm really happy that we got to see the Underminer play out because he makes such an entrance in the first one. And could I have gone my whole life without ever really knowing what happened and and just assuming that the Incredibles go and they save the day? Sure. But I really like that we got to see it and it delivers. I mean, he sinks the
0: city. It works. I love that he looks like a mole. He's a fun character. He's a good villain for as as little screen time as he has. But you're right. The fact that they allow him to get away because their concern is just stopping City Hall from being destroyed. And the officials are saying, we had insurance in place. Like, if you did nothing, this would have been just fine. There's a certain amount of realism that takes place here because we've said that You know, we talked about the first one last week. There is a certain, like, McDonald's lady quality about a lot of what happens in that, and it makes it so relatable because you've seen things like this play out before. So they, I mean, they don't miss a beat whatsoever when picking this up, and it it feels like a legitimate continuation. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you get a sequel. Now, it could be because... The director, Brad Bird, he was on this project as well. Sometimes the directors change as sequels go on, so it's a totally different filmmaking style. But this feels like, from the rip, a cohesive story picking up where the first one left off.
1: No, the Incredibles are are totally his baby. And... He completely leaves his mark on every frame of these films. And we're, we're definitely going to talk more about him later. Um, what I like about this scene, too, is you're right. it It is just a natural continuation. But the characters are developing and growing, particularly the kids. Uh, Because now that Violet and Dash have started to hone their powers more, they want to participate and their parents are so quick to say, no, you watch Jack-Jack. So I love that they are literally passing the buck throughout the scene. And Frozone, I think, gets a little bit more of a hand in saving the day with the family instead of just, you know... I mean, he does certainly show up exactly when and where they need him to, but it's always been more of a sidekick role. I love that he takes on a much bigger role in this film, and I think the scene where he reroutes the monorail is the coolest thing. I mean, nothing screams Disney to me more. It's it's like, you know, you see it sliding down something that else is shot out, or in this case, Frozone, but it just feels so Disney.
0: What you know, the other thing that they do here that I'm really, really happy with, congratulations, Brad Bird, you made me happy, um, (laughs) is that, you know, sometimes with these sequels, especially when it comes to superhero movies, they tend to delve into the secondary characters more to give you backstory. Like, so many times we get exposition and backstory about these secondary characters or about a villain... In the second film, you don't get it so much in the first. But these characters in the first movie, they felt so relatable and they felt we, we were so comfortable with them because I, I got the feeling at the end of the first movie that we knew exactly who all of them were. You didn't have to waste any time giving us more than was necessary in this. I mean, yeah, you get with the kids. The struggles with homework and the struggles with boys and adolescents. Like, yeah, okay, that that's just human nature. But we didn't waste a lot of time with unnecessary backstory. And they just get going right with the action right away. It, I, like, I'm repeating myself, and I don't care. It's so seamless. We are not even into the first seven minutes of this movie, by the way. It's so seamless. It It does feel, and I guess that's sort of the... That's the hallmark of a great sequel. It feels like the first movie never ended.
1: But they're not repeating themselves. And they're also not pandering to what we liked about the first one either. But I do agree with you. We get a little bit of that backstory when the villains come into play. And that's fine. You need to develop them. You need their motivation. Right. That's all well and good. Right. But... I didn't need to see in this film why Elastigirl became Elastigirl. Why Mr. Incredible, you know, I don't need to know that he had like daddy issues or something and that's why he needs to be the perfect superhero and perfect father.
0: Right, and because the way this movie starts, even though it's such a clear continuation of the first, it's so unique in its own right that it doesn't feel like here we go again. That's the other thing that happens with these sequels. It's, Here we go again. This does feel like its own unique film, while also at the same time a continuation of the first. You know what I'm saying? Like That within itself doesn't make sense, but yet it does. If you've seen this movie, that that statement makes sense. It stands on its own.
1: I don't think we hit on this too much last week, but it's something that the first one does really well, and they do even better here because there are a lot of scenes. You've got that jam-packed, action-driven opening, And then Brad Bird lets it breathe for a second. And we get what? The action going to the mundane. So you've got another dinner scene. But this one has more layers than a freaking onion. It's even better than the first film. And I went on and on about that first dinner scene when we reviewed The Incredibles last week.
0: Right. Now, I love the motel set here. Um, I think it looks awesome. To me, it reminds me of something you would see like those old school motels. And I guess it's, it, it sort of depends on where you are geographically. But for for me, I think about like driving down the Jersey Shore, even though we're not from Jersey, but just driving down the Jersey Shore and seeing those really like old school 60s motels that make so much money over the course of the summer, they don't really need to update themselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would just be a waste of money because they, or Saratoga upstate, even better. Like, they don't need to update themselves because they're going to make money hand over fist and they know it like that's what this set reminds me of
1: or even like a palm springs that still has that yes. 60s aesthetic but it's very much modernized now mm-hmm. that's what this reminds me of and i honestly had forgotten that the whole reason they're here now is because they blew up their house at the end of the first one yes um but they do such a good job it's it's not that it's not just that they're at the motel But then Digger also tells them that the program is ending. Mm -hmm. So they immediately raise the stakes because now they've made this big spectacle. They get another slap on the wrist that the insurance would have covered it. And they're still, I guess, because at the end of the first one, you're really led to believe that they sort of can start coming out into the open again because they did a very heroic thing by defeating Syndrome and you think that things are going to be better, but no, we're right back where we started, and it's even worse because there's no
0: protection. And the dinner scene in particular really drives home the fact that, in spite of it all, Bob is more of the recluse, and Helen wants to play by the rules because she's the one saying there are laws that can change other laws, and like he's fighting her on every... Which way possible and she keeps coming back with the logical explanation, but he's just fighting her like it's tooth and nail and at one point they just kind of slam their fist on the table like you can cut the tension with a knife. It's so good.
1: And it does such a good job of setting up the conflict between them throughout the rest of this film, because it's something that never really got resolved in the first one. Right. Mm -hmm. It was always that Mr. Incredible didn't want to give up who he was as a superhero and didn't even really try to balance that so much with family life until, you know, we talked about how his mentality totally changed when when he got that opportunity again, instead of just listening to the police scanner. Uh, And it was something that they never really agreed on was this work-life balance. And here, everything just gets turned on its head.
0: Right. So in the initial defeat, so to speak, of the Underminer, Frozone gets approached by Devers' limousine driver, his chauffeur. And basically says, don't you wish, in, I'm paraphrasing, don't you wish legals, uh, uh, supers could be legal again. So Lucius now tracks down Bob and Helen at the motel and says, listen, I've got this wonderful opportunity. Somebody approached me. They want to meet us tonight.
1: But they want all three.
0: So initially when you meet Winston, you don't trust him.
1: Mr. Incredible. Incredible, Incredible, I'm sorry. Tell me why that lives in my head rent free.
0: Because Bob Odenkirk is a god. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just so good.
1: Besides the num num cookie, like that is the other thing that gets stuck in my head.
0: Yeah, it, like the whole the 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 introduction of Winston Devers is just so uncomfortable for for all of the right reasons because. You've seen enough of these films. You never trust the person that's trustworthy in a Disney movie.
1: I really thought he was going to be the bad guy. So
0: did I. I'm like, he's in this for something more than he wants to see them legal again. He's the screen slaver. He's got something to do with it. So it makes the twist that much better when it eventually pays off.
1: And Pixar totally wants to create that false sense of security right down to the animation. What they did with him was they made him look like a shark. Like, when you think business, you do think of the shark. But they recessed his forehead so that his nose protrudes and looks like the fin. So, subliminally, they're telling us not to trust him.
0: He's too cheesy from the rip, and that's the thing. It's like he's trying to... You think he's trying too hard, but he really just is, after all, a fanboy. And I love a... I love that they kind of went with this because, you know, fanboy is very much in many ways like a sci-fi slash comic book slash superhero term. So I love the fact that you actually get one in a superhero movie for a change.
1: And he's clearly got endless money. So you're like, what's he going to do with it?
0: Exactly. So where he comes in and he says, I want to make the supers legal again. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to use... My sister, who's a great inventor, and we're going to use her technology. The story is outstanding. And th- and that's that's a thing. It's like, ultimately, you've got Supers acting in secret. That's the same premise as the first movie. It's literally the same exact thing. But they make it different enough because they actually have a means to convince people that Supers should no longer be illegal. Because we hear about it in the first film, we know the supers want to act, and they want to stop the villains and the bad guys, and they think it's wrong that it is illegal to do so, but this movie takes it a step further. So again, I'm repeating myself, don't care, and I'm not repeating that again. It's It's got the feel from the first movie. It teeter-totters on being the same thing, but there is enough about it that is different that it is its own unique film. And when they make those changes, it is absolutely spectacular.
1: Well, because it's also so poignant and relatable. The government says no, so enter the private sector. Right. And again, somebody with enough money to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I love that when they get into the house, when Dever says, I have multiple, take this one. I lo- we, t- we talked about the the motel set. But I love that this mid-century modern continues. And this house is just one of the coolest sets I think we have ever seen in a Disney-slash-Pixar film.
1: You know, we talked, and, and these are all films that we've reviewed recently. We've talked about the world building in... Monsters, Inc., we've talked about it in Wreck-It Ralph, and we said those are probably our top two. We talked about it in Zootopia, which is really, really good. Just for me, I said it, it's still Monsters, Inc. by just a very teeny tiny margin. But I not forget about this because this is what, other than the cookie num-num, I think of when I think of this movie is this incredible house. Um, Put not intended, but... (laughs) (laughs) We do say incredible a lot on the show. It's very hard to dance around it, even though that's the title of the film. Um, But this is one of the things that I I think most about in association with this movie. And, I mean, to me, in certain ways, this is almost better than any of those other films that we mentioned. I mean, it's it's just a one-off set. It's not like Monsters, Inc., where they're creating a whole thing like Monstropolis and, and the way that they... You know, they answer the Pixar question, what happened if the monster in your closet is real? Right. That all plays into the world building and establishing not just the setting, but the function. So you don't have that here. But this house is just so cool. And we had talked about it last week that what Brad Bird does so well is that there's a little something that happens that doesn't seem so significant. And he will... Fully, He will bring it full circle. So Dash is playing with the controls and you've got this funny bit where he ends up sinking the couch into one of the water features. Yes. That comes back around later with the Incredibile.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they, they don't leave any stone unturned in this movie. And, you know, I think when it comes to the world build, when it comes to sets like this, Mid-century modern is such a thing nowadays, especially in SoCal. But we've all, I mean, people of a certain generation have seen pictures of their parents and the furniture in their parents' house when they grew up. Now, God help us all, now you're looking at pictures of your grandparents because we are getting older and older. But I remember seeing pictures of... You know, the house that I grew up in was the house that my mother grew up in. And and just seeing how things were decorated, seeing mid-century modern was something that wasn't so far-fetched for me because, like, I could envision it in the house I grew up in. So I think that it's, because it's something that's tangible, and and we know this about about Disney and Pixar, they love using things that are tangible Mm. because they make them relatable. So you have people that grew up with this furniture, grew up with this aesthetic. You have people that grew up being aware of it from having seen pictures from their parents' childhood. And now because it is, you know, what's old is new again, because you're seeing this now pop up in modern architecture and modern uh, interior decorating, this movie feels timeless. A- and and the first one feels timeless. I just think it's so brilliant that they can do this because i just can't think of that many films where you created this entire world yet it is so familiar at the same time like i'm like zootopia is great because and i think the world building's outstanding but i'm never going to visit it like i can i understand it i've been to cities like that but i'm never going to see hamsters shoot down a pipe at Grand Central Station, but I understand what it is that they were doing. This, though, I feel like I've been in this house before.
1: See, I'm Italian. I grew up with the plastic on the furniture.
0: Ugh, that's disgusting. (laughs) But the couch wasn't. That's the point. Oh, the the floral couch? Don't get the gabagool on the floral couch. (laughs) But Wrapped in saran wrap.
1: To your point, no, you are right. Even Wreck-It Ralph, we can all identify something in Wreck-It Ralph because it's nostalgic. But... It's, it's not necessarily a tangible thing. Like you'll recognize a video game, uh, and you'll recognize like the arcade piece, but, but this is different. It It's different remembering something that you played with as a child versus being able to like step into a space and, and have that sort of recognition and that feeling, um, But, no, you're absolutely right. It's timeless, and yet with all the tricked-out gadgets and Dash playing with the remote, there's so much tech here that you really can't pinpoint when this is supposed to be. Um, What I also love that they're doing here, you know, they've got our attention on this tricked-out house, but they are also building the story uh, because now Elastigirl is the one who's going to launch the initiative, and... Devers even told them as much that Mister Incredible is, he's he's too extra. He's a liability. To handle this. He's a liability. <laughs> exactly. Um, so they pick Elastigirl, and it's I, I mean it's such a great choice to to hit on what we've been talking about. That yes, this is familiar. It feels like the first one, but there are changes, and the difference here is that you know we said. Helen and Bob have always taken a different stance on the job versus the family, out in the open versus keeping it hidden, and...
0: Following the law, law, breaking the law.
1: Exactly. And Bob never really had that internal conflict, even when it meant lying to his family. He was just so happy to go be Mr. Incredible again. Here, and I think it definitely has to do with we're putting the emphasis on the female... And it's very emotionally driven. We're seeing that internal struggle take place and it just creates so many conflicts like Bob's jealousy and her her saying to your point. To save the kids, I have to leave them. To fix the law, I have to break it. Those are things that he didn't bat an eyelash over.
0: And it's so poignant that she says it. Like like the screenwriting is just so good in that scene in particular. The other thing that I love here, because you talked about it before, the gizmos and the gadgets. You think about James Bond. You think about Batman, right? Like you're used to seeing cool vehicles. And you really didn't get a lot of that in the first film, but you get you get the incredible, but I think one of the coolest vehicles that I've seen in any any superhero or any spy movie is the elasticycle. This thing is absolutely awesome. It looks cool
1: just in design before you even know that it can separate to accommodate her body specifically. When this thing comes apart and and she's on, like, two parallel lanes, it's insane. It's
0: amazing. It's so smart. It is so smart.
1: What I am happy about, though, is that after all of this internal struggle we've seen play out, when she actually does get to leave, that's the thing. She says a lot of it, and then that bike fires up and she's just out she's of here. She's gone. Um, but she does call herself on it because when she's talking to the Devers over the... um. The walkie-talkie. Yes, they're listening in on a police scanner. So I'm very glad that they that she calls herself out over the hypocrisy of the whole situation because then I feel like we wouldn't have a reason to root for her to succeed here.
0: Yes, because I think you're right. If if it would have just been straight hypocrisy and she wouldn't have called herself on it, you know, a, a keen moviegoer. Would have said, well, this is the same thing that Bob did, and and he was sort of picked fun at over it. So I like the fact that they do call attention to it, and I, I like the fact that the tables very much turn. Right, the tables turn in that aspect where she gets to have her moment of glory. But I like how the table also turns because you know we know that she kept the household together in the first film. Now it's Bob's turn to keep everything going comedically I love this flip starting with him trying to read this book to Jack Jack
1: the doozles are dozing
0: it's hysterical his temper tantrum over math is math, why would they change math, which is something we can all relate to.
1: That was so brilliant. I can only imagine what the Pixar studios must have been like because this is something that all those parents were struggling with. This is when they redesigned the Common Core.
0: Yeah, and now, now guess what? All of you parents have been teachers (laughs) for the last year.
1: No, but that's what I'm saying. At the time, I mean, who obviously knew what was coming, but... Even at that time, these parents had to relearn everything that they've ever been taught so that they could teach their kids because nobody understood it. Nobody did. No, and I, I love that. I mean, Disney and Pixar always do a great job of calling things out, but I just love that it wasn't just a throwaway line. It could have been, and it's something that's so relatable. But again, they deliver on it because... What we see here that's different than the first one is that Bob obviously had a lot tied up in his identity as a superhero. It's how he identifies himself. And he couldn't do the nine to five. And it was literally killing him to do that. Yeah. But what we... and, And I had said it last week is that they made such a clear point of... Showing that it wasn't his family that he was resenting, that it was just everything about being stripped of being a superhero that was getting to him. But what we get to see here is that it doesn't necessarily matter what he's doing. He still wants to be incredible at it. And in this case, it's he wants to be an incredible father. And now we see him kill himself trying to do that.
0: Yeah, and and the slow deterioration over the course of the film, the
1: five o'clock shadow coming, bags in. bags under oh, the eyes, it's every brilliant,
0: everything about it is great. I think the runaway train scene is excellent. Where we really get to see Elastigirl be Elastigirl, like it's the first time we've really got to see Elastigirl. Like we saw Helen in the first mill in the first film, and we saw elements of Elastigirl. But I feel like we really didn't get to experience that character and we get to see it in this film and to see her let loose I stopped the runaway train and she's like squeeing over the phone to see her react in that way was sort of refreshing T- to see the other side of it because we know how Bob feels. But it's completely different seeing it from Helen's perspective.
1: And again, pacing, pacing, pacing. They're cutting these high action sequences that Elastigirl is experiencing against Bob's mundane at home and him struggling with the kids. So... On that phone call, it's that perfect moment because he's had it. He's had a day and she is she's hit her stride and she's back in action. So to see that moment come together and he's still trying to be a supportive husband, but you can tell how much it's getting to him. It's It's just such a great scene.
0: Speaking of great scenes, it leads into what is by far the best scene in this movie and what is, I'm just going to say it, One of the best scenes in the history of any Disney or Pixar film. Agreed. Jack-Jack versus the raccoon. This scene, no matter how many times I have seen it, leaves me in stitches. I love the fact that Jack-Jack is watching a black and white film on TV and he sees the burglar with the mask on and then he looks over and he sees the raccoon you know, that, that typical raccoon mask that you're so familiar with. The fact that he starts to use his powers and he starts to really experiment with his powers. And d- just the fight with the raccoon and when he's, when he lights himself on fire and starts burning the pool furniture, it's absolutely hysterical.
1: No, and this is what I'm talking about earlier where i'm so thankful that they didn't do the time jump because then we would have lost not only this whole bit but what they're doing with jack jack is incredible i mean he's a baby so he's not going to have this massive character arc but the whole time during the first incredibles you're sort of wondering like what his powers are going to be and you know again they they left the first one in a good place if they never intended to do a sequel um i think that that would have been fine you didn't necessarily need to know i mean you do sort of see it at the end with the babysitter but we barely even scratch the surface of what his powers are and and we don't really get to see a lot of that play out you only get to hear the babysitter's voice messages and it's not until uh, syndrome takes him that you just get just a little taste of it. So I love that his powers were never clearly defined and there are just endless possibilities and you have no idea what's coming next. And I think this raccoon fight was the perfect way to let some of them loose instead of having him interacting with his siblings and then they accidentally come out or um, or even just making Bob's bad day worse with it. Like eventually it delivers on that. But I love that we as the audience know what he's capable of and the rest of his family doesn't. It it's kind of, you know, it, it's fun being in on that joke.
0: It is. Now you talked about action and mundane and there's that roller coaster. And I think that the roller coaster to me, Jack Jack on the raccoon is like the apex of the first drop in any big roller coaster. And then you just come careening down. Because the scene that you get shortly thereafter, if not exactly after, is when Violet, who has become such an interesting character in this film, not not that she wasn't in the first, there was a lot of mystery behind her in the first, but we're starting to really see Violet and her personality's really starting to show through and she's becoming such an endearing character that when she gets to... At this point now, Tony has stood her up because she has been wiped from his memory. He doesn't remember that they were supposed to go on a date Friday night to the movies. So she, you know, Monday morning, she meets him at the locker and she's trying to kind of find out what happened. And... She obviously has no idea yet that his memory's been erased, and he says, do I know you? To see the pain on her face, the way that she's animated, and she just runs out the door and down the stairs because she's so humiliated. It's such a splash of cold water. You feel so bad for Violet, but coming off of this scene with the raccoon, you just, you laugh for five minutes. It makes the pain that you feel for the character in this scene, so much deeper.
1: Right, and I think that's because they handled the teen angst thing so well. Violet could have gotten very annoying, and she's not. You are rooting for her the entire time with this guy, and you do feel for her when she gets her heart broken a little bit. Um, But I think that's also a credit to Brad Bird's writing. It's just amazing that he can write Bob's Struggle's as a father, as well as he can Helen's internal conflict over leaving the kids at home to go to work, and also masters the way a teenage girl is feeling. I mean, that's, that is brilliant writing, that you are inside all of these people and you've only ever lived as one
0: of them. I get the feeling that this movie, in spite of the fact, in spite of the fact that kids like it and kids can relate to it if they've seen the first movie, This movie is very much written for the parents. Absolutely. I think that it is an interesting look into parenting. I think that it's an accurate look into parenting... But it doesn't do it in a way where it comes off as preachy, nor does it come off in a way where a child is not going to enjoy this movie. I think it just speaks to how well-written the movie really is.
1: I think it's a couple of things. What Pixar does so well is that they take these stories that could be told as a live action, but they tell them through animation, which just makes it more fun. Just look at the very existence of Elastigirl. That certainly wouldn't be the same if it was CGI on a person or the raccoon fight. We all love Rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's still not going to be as funny fighting a baby because you can bend all of these rules with animation. The other thing is that I think both Pixar and Bradbird were very aware of their growing audience. You know, we talked about it last week that I was in high school when the first one came out. So with the time jump, most people in our age group have kids now right so I think that they were very careful to make this appealing to the people that fell in love with it in the first place and still keep it a family film even though they know that that audience is older and they're going to bring their kids now
0: right I mean so the movie grows up with its target audience exactly which is interesting when you think back on Lizzie McGuire which got canceled the whole project got canceled for being too adult and, and in that aspect, it was the same thing. It was like, okay, our, tar- our target audience is now of a certain age, mid-20s, early 30s. We're going to try to make it a little bit more adult-oriented. So it was sort of interesting that they were able to make it work here, but yet somehow it didn't work in that project. I'm not really sure why that was the case. Right, and
1: I think if memory serves, I think Hillary Duff wanted to go for it, but it was yeah. either... The network or the producers that thought it was just going to be too
0: adult. To this day, I don't really understand why they didn't just move it to Hulu. Because Disney had already acquired it. And, and you bundled everything together with ESPN Plus and Disney Plus. So you could have had that adult-oriented Disney uh, IP, but just not put it on Disney Plus. It would still be on one of your platforms. Right. Right. But anyway, with all that being said... Yeah,
1: I've never seen an episode of Lizzie McGuire. Yeah, I, I, was,
0: I'm, I mean, my, my heart's not broken over it. I just don't understand how they couldn't find a way to make it work. But anyway, with all of that being said, now we move on to this Hollywood treasure scene or Dan Lanigan, that's a better example, a Dan Lanigan moment where they find the Incredibile. Mr. Incredible believed it was destroyed. Turns out it's not. It gets sold at auction. And I love that he still has the remote buried in his box of trinkets and and heirlooms, and it's time to fire the rockets! This whole scene is just so funny when he gets that car to basically go out of control on live television.
1: I mean, of course he still has the remote control because, as we saw in the first one, it is very, very hard for him to give up being Mr. Incredible. But this is one of those things where they just deliver on it. You know, you had Dash as soon as they got in the house playing with every single contraption that he could yes and now as soon as bob brings out this remote he's like gimme and he starts firing off this car but it it's not just the delivery on dash it's the delivery with the timing of everything has completely fallen apart for bob he is just you, you know a a gentle breeze away from a nervous breakdown at this point. (laughs) Yes, he is. And then he sees his car, his pride and joy. Because we do know that he's a Cars guy. What happened in the first one? Every time he got angry, he lifted that car in his driveway, but he never threw it. Yep. So now you've got something that meant so much to him and is so cool and is like the last touchstone that he has to his past because Elastigirl is peeking, You know, she got everything back and she's doing great and she's a total hypocrite by this point. But Bob has been stripped of everything. And then you get this car and somebody who who just totally doesn't deserve it
0: managed to dig it up. But he's going to be okay because he rolls with the punches, baby. He eats thunder and craps lightning. Right,
1: because he's not Mr. So-So. He's not Mr. Mediocre. He's Mr. Incredible.
0: The breakdown is absolutely brilliant. When the kids need to call Lucius over, it's great. And it it leads us to one of the funniest scenes in the movie. Nom nom cookie! <laughs> nom nom cookie!
1: It still leaves me in stitches every single time. And I, I, I don't want to overanalyze it because I never want it to stop being funny. But I, I don't know what it is for me. If it's the sheer exhaustion... Or that he's trying to summon his child from another dimension. Or Lucius, because <laughs> yeah. you've got Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, I can only imagine how much he had to censor himself recording this.
0: Baby super freak. <laughs> Here's the thing. I think it's a little of column A and a little of column B. I think, yeah, the fact that the baby is just some in some universe alternate dimension and you're, you're luring him back with a cookie is funny. But it's just that, like, beaten down... Slurring your words because you are completely physically and mentally drained and just saying, "I'm I'm okay. <laughs> it's I think it's both. I think it's both.
1: No, it just shows what brilliant writing it is. It, you know, we've established that he's tired, but the disappearing act from Jack Jack just puts it over the top. And just when you think it can't get any better, they bring back E.
0: Now she's anti-Edna. This is is great because edna's like the person that wants nothing to do with a baby at least you believe that's the fact but bob comes in he's exhausted he's out of answers and he goes to edna and in typical edna fashion edna has the answers
1: which is very surprising because she knows that elastigirl is out there again and it's not her design. So she has every reason to turn Bob away. You know, that compounded with the fact that she's not a baby person. You really think this could this could be the breaking point for Bob. But it's not. Because Jack-Jack completely wins her over. And a- again, it just gets even better. I love how he ends up taking on her personality. Not just in the facial expression the facial expressions, but he starts, you know, he's sucking on the lollipop and he's got his shoulders all pushed back and he's thinking who he is and he's completely taken on Edna.
0: Well, as Edna will tell you, they deserve each other. They're both that I special. They deserve each other. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's just so good and I love the functionality of this suit that she makes him and she's got these fibers that does this and she has it hooked up to a remote control and the tech that goes into it is just absolutely spectacular. There's nothing about this that I don't love. And I love how she just like throws him out when she's just like... I enjoy a visit. Goodbye, and just slams the door, and then out he goes.
1: And then that scene, you know, you get the high comedy balanced with this other really touching moment where he apologizes to Violet for further screwing things up with Tony and again that's such a relatable moment because whether you're the teenage girl watching this who's been embarrassed by your father or you've been that father who has tried to make everything better and you end up putting your foot in your mouth it's just such a great scene and it's so sweet it's such a nice moment between these two characters but it's also a really big moment for Violet because she steps up and takes care of her dad because she sees, and and I'm kind of surprised that they waited until this moment to make it happen because she is the eldest child. You would think that even though she's an emotional wreck right now, she would be stepping up to help take care of her younger brother a little bit more in her mother's absence. And I guess... That's why there is all this boy drama and that's why it works because she's off in a room eating ice cream and she hasn't done anything to help him until now. But she does realize that for the sake of her father, she needs to put her own issues aside and just let him sleep. And
0: she does for, for
1: 17 hours.
0: 17 hours. And then they go and they get Jack-Jack back and they have this really funny scene in the backyard where Bob is showing off jack jack and his powers and his new suit to well, the other kids before they get that we
1: get to see this suit preview true and edna is demonstrating it for bob juxtaposed against mozart yes it's so amazing it it just makes it all the much funnier that you you've don't got need this, cookies bob <laughs> you've got this calming music but there is absolute chaos going on behind the glass wall
0: yeah and when he gets him back to the house, the laser beam eyes. Oh, my God. This is just so funny. Where he's he's kind of weaponized his child. He's using him basically as a ray gun at some point.
1: Right. And this is what I was talking about earlier is that we know that Jack-Jack can do this because we saw him use it against his friend the raccoon or his arch nemesis, I should say. But to see Dash and Violet get to witness that for the first time, it's such a great moment, especially because now that power is harnessed so they can see what he can really do now.
0: Right. And after all of this, now we get to the scene where we start to really unravel Evelyn because now she is exposed as the Screenslaver. And I think the Screenslaver is an awesome villain because I love the motivation behind Screenslaver. The fact that he just calls people out on basically being uh, being slaves to television right I mean he says you don't play games you play game shows and and he goes on and on and on or she in this case goes on and on and on about how you basically just fixate yourself on that little screen and you can't come off of it I think the lair that they give the character is great I think the aesthetic he, he, he looks like a menacing Casey Jones, right? Like, the whole thing is just so well done, and I think that when you get the twist that it's Evelyn, because I'm thinking the whole time it's Winston, when you get the twist that it's Evelyn, like, maybe I'm naive... I didn't see it coming, and the twist is so good.
1: But see, I feel like we should have watching it now, because the name is not Screensaver, Screenslaver. And the entire time, in those moments that she gets with Helen, and it seems like they're having girl talk, she's complaining about being behind the scenes and being in the shadows. Um... But yeah, what I love about the motivation, too, it's not just calling people out for being too absorbed in in their phones and their televisions. It's also that she basically said people are complacent and you're going to do what's convenient and comfortable as opposed to having to think for yourself. Yes. And then that also plays into her issues with superheroes because she says you want a superhero to come and save you so that you don't have to worry about anything. And she's got much more deep-rooted issues with superheroes because we haven't really talked about this yet. Um, She blames superheroes for her parents' death, that her father... When they had the break in, had a direct line to Gazer Beam, and he was trying to call Gazer Beam, and there was no answer. And and she, the superhero, was not there when she needed them. Right. And she's she's rightfully so bitter
0: about it. Well, I think it's a great motivation.
1: It is. It's it's perfect. It it totally. There are no loose ends, and especially because she does have the the polar opposite point of view of her brother who is not just a fanboy but believes in them with his whole heart it's such a great juxtaposition but what i'm wondering and and to this day i am surprised that they didn't tie this together is that syndrome was using the superheroes being underground to silently kill them off one by one and we see where gazer beam ended up i'm wondering if timeline-wise that's why he couldn't get to their father.
0: It, it could, I, I got the feeling that that happened when they were in their adolescence. I could be wrong about that because the parents appeared to be older. It's hard to say. It's, it, you're sort of ambiguous with that version of the timeline. I can see it going either way. I just think that the, the motivation and the story behind it just makes so much sense like you've seen it before, a grudge against a superhero. you know what I'm saying? A grudge against somebody. Yeah, I believed in you. but it but it's it's just so different. Somehow some way they take the same thing you've seen before and make it unique enough. I think that's kind of the that's sort of the philosophy of this film. In totality, I think it's unique enough where it doesn't feel like anything else that you've seen in the past.
1: Right, because the easy way out would have been if their parents were victims of, like, Mr. Incredibles. You know, the insurance will pay for it yes, and, like, a building yeah. fell on them. That That's bad writing, and Brad Bird is so much better than that.
0: Yeah, um, let's talk about Brad Bird for a second. Because until recently, I didn't know his full lineage with Disney. His story is incredible.
1: It really, I mean, that is the Incredibles story right there. I mean, I knew that he came up with them, but what I had no idea about was that uh, at 14 years old, he was in the mentorship program that was basically, it wasn't so much a program as he really just wanted to be an animator and they let him hang around now and they gave a, him an
0: office and a phone at the age of 14. That
1: that would blow my mind. And it, in some ways it does because I can't even imagine how much free labor Disney has gotten out of this man. I mean, I'm sure they paid it back in dividends, but by now, but um, God, at 14 years old, what I wouldn't have given for that opportunity. And when you think about who was there at the time i mean you still had most of your nine old men so he's learning right from the greats and he's he's able to see these amazing films being made and i mean you're not even anywhere near computers yet so he's and i think that's what makes the incredible so good is because he knows what goes into the hand drawn animation from being around it so much And I think that's a fun thing for him to play with is what can be drawn and not taking advantage of the computer having just endless limits. You are sort of limiting it to what you would do 2D on a page with the animation.
0: Yeah. He is the closest link that we currently have to the Nine Old Men. And it's sort of sad to say that, but... I think in terms of somebody who's still very active with Disney and has a voice inside of Disney, he's the closest thing we have currently.
1: Which is remarkable because he also got fired from his first gig. Yeah. That just goes to show you, don't give up on your dreams. No matter how young you are, even if you get fired.
0: Even if you're <laughs> even if you're 14 years old and Frank and Ollie say, you'll give up on this in two weeks and we're never going to see you again. <laughs>
1: Can you imagine, though, that if Brad Bird had just turned around and took the ball and went home, we would never have this?
0: Yeah, well, I don't think he was ever that close, but it's funny hearing him tell those stories about how the guys, but we know this about Frank and Ollie specifically. To them, it was just a job. It was just a thing that they did. Like, they appreciated it, but it was just another job. And so it, it is funny hearing it, though, come from Brad Bird. Okay, so let's move on here in the story.
1: Yeah, we haven't talked about the other superheroes yet who Evelyn ends up weaponizing. Yeah. Um, I go back and forth with them Um, because they're like, God forgive me, the B team of superheroes. I feel like these powers are so random and I... I feel like that was done intentionally because you don't necessarily want to make them have a stronger power than The Incredibles or Frozone. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like you knock them down a peg so much that they don't necessarily belong in this world. Like the regurgitator. Give me a break. It's just gross. Yeah.
0: Uh, Reflux. Reflux. But the same thing. (laughs) The same thing. Yeah. Um. They're fine. Um, I, I think the more important thing, more than, more than their powers, the important thing is that there are supers out there. And there is a door being opened to... When you legalize supers again, it's not just the Incredibles and Frozone. Like, there are other people who perhaps had to hide their powers and they don't need to hide their powers anymore. It's like going to dr xavier's school you know what i'm saying like there's there's something else there um it's it's fine um i I think you needed to establish that there are more supers out there i mean i think void is amazing i think what the power that they gave her is great but the rest of them are I can crush things with my mind. Okay, you know what I'm saying. Like
1: brick, I I still am not sure what the function of brick is.
0: Be a brick. I don't know. Like you're right. Like past void, none of them really have. Oh, it's gonna sound mean. They don't have a purpose. You know what I'm saying? They're they're just there.
1: Right, but maybe that is why they were supposed to be clunky. Like I said, it might have been deliberate just to juxtapose them against the Incredibles and not make them. You know, you can't upstage the Incredibles, but maybe it also serves to show that they are underground and they haven't harnessed these. or, Or some of them haven't used their powers in quite a while. Or somebody like Void, you can tell that she's younger, the way that she looks up to Elastigirl. Yeah. Because not only does she fangirl, but, I mean, she can barely put two sentences together. And then... In the 11th hour, when Elastigirl really needs her help, she she almost can't deliver. Um, But, yeah, her power is really cool. At first, I didn't think so with the coffee cup when it's first introduced. But that fight with Violet is absolutely incredible because nothing can break Violet's force field, but when you're able to jump through dimensions you can get into the force field I think even though they're fighting that's a really great female empowerment scene especially because Violet is trying to get to her mother to save her um so this I mean aside from the focus being on Elastigirl this this really is very female forward this film
0: it is I think the fight scene with with the other supers and the kids, and the way that the kids need to fight themselves out and get into the Incredibile. Like, all of that is awesome. Um, I think it's a very strong visual, too, when eventually, when Elastigirl, Mr. Incredible, and Frozone, when they are possessed, it's a very harsh visual. Because you only know them as your heroes. So to see them in a compromised state where they are now being possessed and they are the villains and kind of touching upon what you said before you have these other supers who are a B team they they're not quite as powerful to so so basically to see the most powerful beings on earth under the possession of something so inherently evil it is a very harsh reality and a harsh harsh visual to face
1: to me the worst of it though is when they arrive at the house and they get Frozone. And when because he doesn't say Frozone, when Dash screams out Lucius, yes, it is such a gut punch. Like, you really feel it. And that's where I'm saying you, you get that relationship other than, you know, dad's co-worker. Like, they really did care for each other. But you're right. It is a very striking visual, too, once you get the three of them. I mean, you see them go down one by one, but the three of them together, to know that it's just up to the kids now, that's that's a lot to put on their shoulders.
0: When Evelyn escapes on her plane, and the plane is just like another st- structure that's built into the yacht. It is so sleek. It's so sleek. It is so cool. It's so James Bondy. Like it, it has that real classic spy movie feel. Um, I absolutely love it. I, I just think it's so much fun and it's so unique and yet so familiar at the same time. Um it just feels like it belongs in this world that they have created for The Incredibles. Um, and, I mean, the movie sort of just ends after that. Um, you know, they defeat the bad guy. She gets arrested. Frozone
1: plays a bigger part in yeah. stopping that. Bo- they they have stopped every major mode of transportation in this movie.
0: Yeah, literally. Several
1: monorails, yeah. a helicopter, a
0: boat. A boat, plane, everything. Yeah. Um, but it comes to an end and you get the scene now where Violet is finally going on her date with Tony and they see, I think they were bank robbers that are just driving by and they're shooting the place up and she drops them off and gives them money and says, here's money for popcorn and a soda, save me a seat near the near the middle, I'll be back for the previews. And they all put their masks on and then they fly off in the new Incredibile to go fight crime. I love how the movie ends. I think that they've told yet another complete story. And I don't feel like we needed to see anything else. Like I felt like they showed us just enough where I feel like it is a complete story.
1: No, and what's amazing too is that in the final minutes of this movie, you get such a huge character moment from Violet that she's got the thing that she's wanted this entire film. And she still chooses her family over it in the moment and, and accepts the responsibility of this new role that she has. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have anything else to add before we go into our conclusion here?
1: No, these are the most notes I think I've ever taken <laughs> on a movie where my favorite thing is a cookie nom-nom.
0: All right, so like, I'll go... I, this is more notes,
1: I think, than than Mary Poppins. That's kind of... <laughs> I don't know if that's sad or or it's impressive for Incredibles 2. All
0: right. Uh, All right. I'll bat lead off. They did it again. It's perfect. Like, I, you know, okay. So you've got perfect films with Toy Story. And I know that we have said, you know, the sequels, the fourth movie never happened. But the other movies are, are just as good. I mean, this movie's perfect. It's, it's it's in the same vein but it's different enough it's so much funnier it leaves me wanting more but at the same time i don't want any more. like i could watch another movie but i don't think it's necessary um but yeah great villains great twist of course lovable characters the animation is noticeably better in this movie but really noticeably better um it's another perfect film coming off of the heels of the first one, which I gave perfect marks to, and I know you did too, like, I almost can't believe it because it's it's so rare that a sequel does it as good. I think in this case, the sequel actually did it better. Um, it, I just can't believe they did it again. I totally agree. Up to
1: and including, I think they did it better. I said it a thousand times last week that The Incredibles is just textbook screenwriting and that it should be studied because the script is so good in the way that it develops the characters and it, it builds on the story and everything is so layered and there's not a wasted moment. Everything gets paid off on. And I just didn't think it could get any better than that. It shouldn't be better than that. And yet here they've done it. I mean, I will say this. I think script-wise, Incredibles is a better script. But overall, I feel like this is a better movie because of the way it's action-driven, juxtaposed against the humor. And and I think, again, with the pacing, I think that's what puts it over the top for me. Uh, that this is just a more an even more enjoyable watch. That's not to say The Incredibles isn't, but the one that I find myself returning to is Incredibles 2. I still laugh at this one like it's the first time I've seen it. I still notice new things about it every time that I watch it. And I I just, I don't know what else to say. Like, I just straight up love this movie. For something that was an immediate continuation of the first one, where we're not growing in time. It shouldn't be this good, but it just is. And as much as it panders to what we love about the first one, they did so much to change it and make these characters grow and develop them and the story into something that is still relevant because the first one did it and this one does it too. It's taking these timely social issues and making a commentary and doing it in a way that both exploits it and pokes fun at it and makes it so relatable. And and, and not just on a macro scale, on a micro scale too, because, and I think this is what, everyone loves so much about these movies is it's the family dynamic i think that's what keeps you coming back each time is because at the root of it it is a story about being there for your family no matter what the situation is
0: uh-huh. we're interested in knowing what you have to say about the incredibles too more than the first film. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break.
2: Hey, everyone. This is Brian down here in South Florida. I'm about two hours south of Disney, and when it comes to planning vacations, Jackie's the way to go. I have a quick story for you. When it came to booking my family vacation for my two-year-old daughter and my wife, you know like everybody I immediately went to the internet started scouting prices compiling lists and uh, building my perfect vacation at Disney just out of curiosity I reached out to Jackie she mentioned she was uh, booking vacations for many people so I gave her my uh, list my itinerary she looked it over and when she came back to me she gave me her recommendations in regards to the parks however she also had new pricing associated with it Um, I've learned that going on my own doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be getting the best pricing Jackie was able to beat the majority of the pricing within my list and saving me a ton of money. But she has the insight and the connections to do so. On top of that, it was stress-free, so all my vacations in the future are going to be through her because I don't have to think about it. She plans it, I give her some information in regards to what I want to do, what my plans are for that week when I go visit Disney, and she'll make it happen and create the itinerary for me. She's a market expert. Myself, I go into a park, I immediately hop on the next line, I get a few fast passes, and at the end of the day, I don't accomplish everything like I would want to. She advised on which rides to attack first, which restaurants I should schedule on what day, and how to properly allocate my time to maximize my vacation. It was an amazing process. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Way to go, Monoreal. Keep it going.
1: So if you would like some cooking nom-noms, get in touch with me. You can reach me through any of our social media channels at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email me directly at j.zelezi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com.
0: News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. If you are looking for that touch of Disney in your life, perhaps in your art prints or your stationery, your greeting cards, apparel, or home decor, Kelly has you covered. Plus, listeners of Monoreal Radio get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Go scope it all out at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. So the news this week is something that I I think it's necessary. It excites a lot of people. Um, As we talk about the return of Disneyland and the return of the cast members, Disney is talking about being a little bit more lax with their dress code. And that sort of opens up the opportunity for people to express themselves a little bit more at work and really show who they are while also being a Disney cast member.
1: Which is a wonderful thing. I think that inclusivity is obviously so important and I think that people being able to express their culture more while they're at work uh, and not having to worry about maybe covering something up or having to change their appearance in a way that makes them uncomfortable. I think that's a great thing. What's interesting to me about this decision is I feel like, I mean, obviously Disney wants to make everybody happy and they are trying to take a step in the right direction and do something that is relevant and important. But I almost feel like a lot of this is an answer to what's going on on social media right now because a lot of either former CMs or CMs have taken to social media and some of them are not as careful as others when discussing the peak behind the Disney curtain. And I think some of them should be a little bit more careful because some of them give far too much away. But I think that what's happening is if you have to dress a certain way, like let's, for example, I have my nose pierced. I mean, I'm fortunate enough where that doesn't matter with what I do. But, you know, for some people, you have to take your nose ring out to go to work that day and then you put it in when you go back home. If you're on TikTok talking about being a cast member, now we all know that you have the nose ring. So I kind of feel like in, in a way this is Disney's response to, well, we know all of these cast members are out there with their own lives anyway. So we may as well let them bring it into the park. And I think, you know, I I don't think that that's a bad thing.
0: I don't think that it is a bad thing. I think giving people an opportunity to, express their culture, their relig- uh, their religion, their gender, I think that that's very important. Where I go with this, and I'm devil's advocate, and maybe I'm old man screaming at cloud right now, I go back to, for me, when I was working in private clubs, yacht clubs, country clubs, et cetera, and so forth, and I was building my team for the summer, If somebody came in with face tattoos looking like Post Malone, I'm sorry, they weren't getting a job. Like, you were not going to be a waiter in my dining room looking like that. It just wasn't going to happen because it's not what you would consider to be appropriate appearance for work. I have tattoos. You see them if I want you to see them. They're not in any inappropriate places, but, I mean... You see them if I want you to see them. I know you and I are a little bit different. Yours are more visible than mine. But it's also, you know, you don't have the skull and crossbones. I mean, I've seen some really putrid tattoos. And I feel like if somebody's going to have face tattoos or, you know, I've seen piercings where uh, they kind of made a joke of it in Vegas Vacation where the person basically looked like a pincushion. You know what I'm saying? Like... Where does the line get blurred? and and I think that's the thing. Like we've all seen the person who got plastic surgery to have devil horns put in their forehead or had plastic surgery to look like a lizard. You know, you see these people that are on like a Ripley's, believe it or not. When is it that you look at that and say, you know what that's that's really not appropriate to be front facing at the magic Kingdom. It's not appropriate to be front facing. As a waiter in a dining room at a private club. At what point is the is the line drawn? And and that's kind of like where I go with this, is it's like, it's great for, like I said, your your gender, your religion, your culture, but at the end of the day, there's still there still has to be a line of what is appropriate and what is not. And unfortunately, we just came off of two films talking about. Attorneys that will make the McDonald's coffee lady into a real thing. I'm waiting for you get that one slime attorney that's tired of chasing an ambulance and reaches out to 500 people who showed up with face tattoos and didn't get a job at Disney that are now going to launch a class action lawsuit. So where does the line get drawn? That's the like I know that's a really cynical way of looking at it but that's how I have to look at it. You know like from from me from my perspective. You know because there's always going to be somebody out there saying where where can I cash in on my misery? Where can I cash in on my poor decision? And you know that's that's an opportunity. I mean I'll tell you a story right now. There were there was an instance that I was interviewing for a job for waiters, waitresses, busboys food runners, etc., and a girl came in for a job interview, okay? It's a job interview. She came in wearing a, I, I'm not making this up, wearing a fishnet tube top. She did not get a job. She, like, she, the minute she walked in the door, she was never going to get that job. You know what I'm saying? So, like, at some point in time, there has to be a level of accountability for your actions. And, on, and, and I think this is kind of, like, my... This is the long way to get to my point. Somebody will take a bad decision that they made. And because of the best of intentions, when it comes to what Disney's trying to do for inclusivity, they're going to use it to their advantage where, I'm sorry... But that, that is not the same. Somebody having their hair done in a certain way that's culturally accurate should not be confused with somebody who looks like King Koopa. You know what I mean? You get what I'm saying? But, but King Koopa's there, and there is an attorney that's going to represent them. So I think that you just have to be careful of the slippery slope that comes from this. And I know that's a cynical thing to say. But that's unfortunately how I look at the world.
1: But it's it's like anything, though, and this is not exclusive to Disney. It's that one person is going to push the limits and then ruin it for everybody else. I mean, here's the thing. We saw the press release, right? It's all about inclusivity. Do I think that they're rewriting their entire manifesto where... If you want to be Peter Pan, but you have, you know, a lip piercing and an eyebrow piercing, you're going to be allowed to audition for that character? No, I don't. I think that they're going to be very careful with their face characters, absolutely. But, I mean, I think where this is going to be very cool is... um you know, like let's, let's say somebody has a henna tattoo. I think if they're working in animal kingdom in Asia, I think, you know, to see that culture now brought out even more, I think that's going to be awesome. And it's going to be more authentic to the experience. I think it's going to be amazing when, you know, a a girl who's much braver than I is going to shave half of her head and she can work at Batu and look like she just stepped out of star Wars now. Um, so I think that there are some ways that this is going to enhance the experience.
0: I think that you're right. But somebody is going to take <laughs> the best of intentions and they're going to ruin it. That's the thing, right? I mean, am I wrong in thinking that that Koopa and... Post Malone and the pincushion are going to like launch a coup against Disney with a 1-900-attorney that you see on public access in the middle of the night. Tell me I'm wrong. It's a slippery slope for sure. For, For certain. But with all of that being said, and jokes aside and even cynic aside, the fact that Disney is taking this opportunity to make people more comfortable with who they are and what they believe and, you know... Ultimately, I think that's the beautiful thing about a Walt Disney World or a Disneyland is that you, I mean, look, I've said, we got on the Magical Express. It's so odd because we've gone so many times to Disney. But the last time we took a big trip, we got on the Magical Express, and this was obviously long before COVID, and I'm watching like eight buses of people getting loaded on. We're wearing mouse ears and hats to get bust to a compound that we are not going to leave that we're going to spend our money at. And it was the first time I said, my God, this is a cult. <laughs> I don't know why in all the years I thought, my God, it is a cult. So, But it's a place that you've, ne- like as a guest, you, you're you allowed to express yourself. You can wear mouse ears. You can, you can not cosplay, but you can Disney bound. You know what I'm saying? Like, so to f- the fact that this now also spills over it, into the cast members who are like the most important part about it. it's I'm sorry, it's not, it, the food is great. The attractions are great, but at the end of this, and you and I have pounded the table for the cast members for so many years, and we will continue to, they're the most important part of the Disney experience. The fact that they can express themselves and feel comfortable there, As comfortable as somebody that wants to wear a pair of mouse ears, I think is an incredibly important thing for Disney as a company.
1: Absolutely. I have another hot take.
0: Uh oh. <laughs> so you're gonna get me in more trouble. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably put my foot in my mouth. Okay. But here we go. Uh, they announced the Avengers Campus at Disneyland again. Very happy they are getting their park back. Very excited for them, and excited they get to return with this. I, I mean, probably since Galaxy's Edge, the most anticipated. Sure. World, right? Here's the thing. People are very excited to return to Disneyland. They're going to go anyway. You didn't need to give them a gimme. And I'm sorry. As excited as I have been since they announced the Avengers campus, as much as I can't wait to go, you cannot do this before you fix the eyesore that is World Showcase right now. Give me a break, Chapik.
0: Well, unfortunately, they had an opportunity to not fix... Just not screw up the barges for Harmonious. But Bob Chapik is what he is, and he stepped on his own foot, and and, and now you're stuck with those barges that are an eyesore. The thing is, with Disneyland, they were already way into that project. They'd already spent the time, the money, the resources, not unlike Harmonious. But the thing like, here's the thing. Harmonious, while it's an eyesore, you're getting the show. like It's still going to happen when you're that deep into the Avengers campus, what are you going to do? Not finish it? It, Like, I think at the root of it, both attractions are going to open. It's going to be something that you can experience. So I get what you're saying, like, why would you finish that and then let this just sit there? But it, it... it's different, and and I think that because Disneyland and Walt Disney World operate as like two completely different companies,
1: they do. It's two different budgets. I mean, I don't know the inner workings, and I'm I'm not going to pretend to. But I'm just saying, from the fan, it, it, really, my issues are with Harmonious more than every anything well, don't take else. Take that out
0: on the people at Disneyland. You can't take that out <laughs> on the Avengers Campus. No,
1: and I I get it. Avengers had already broken ground, but my my. Question, I guess, is if this is all a budgetary issue. And again, I maybe it is separate budgets. It probably is. There's one for Disneyland. There's one from World. But it's like you you couldn't rob from Peter to pay Paul and fix this. It is a problem. It is a big problem. I mean, is its it, is it going to we might have to go to Mexico side first and get the avocado margarita <laughs> so that I can deal with this? Because usually we go Canada side, but I might need the stronger one first. To deal with this. Um, especially when Epcot Forever was so good the way they sampled that audio. Just just leave that. Leave that forever.
0: I understand what you're saying. I understand the principle of what you're saying. But ultimately, one has nothing to do with the other. You can tie it around if you really try hard enough. But one has nothing to do with the other. And unfortunately, it's not going to change. So, I understand the principle of what you're saying. It's not that I completely disagree with you. But you are very much comparing apples and oranges here. I, I think what you you would have to look at it and say, perhaps you scrap, I don't know. Moana. Moana. Let's just just scrap Moana. Just at random. Fine. You scrap Moana. That doesn't happen so that now you have the money for those barges to go in and out. Fine. You're not going to say, screw it. We're not finishing Tron. Because you've already done so much with it. I kind of look at this the same way. You've already gone so far into the Avengers campus. You're not just going to say, eh. The hell with it. It's the... We'll just make it the art of animation thing in 10 years. We'll let the building rot, and then we'll finally put a paint job on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not what it's going to be. They're not just going to not finish a project and let a building rot. So, in principle, yes, I agree with you, but... it's two extremes. It's two completely different animals. No,
1: I hear what you're saying. It is apples and oranges. But my point is, and I, and I said it last week. Just he he must be stopped. Focus your attention on one place. We're all excited to come back. We're all going to come and spend our money. You already built it. They will come. But but just pump the brakes a little bit and and just do one thing full out before you do five things half halfway
0: mm-hmm. uh well i think we're looking at this two different ways and we want to know what you have to say about any of this news that dropped this week you can let us know on twitter instagram and facebook at monoreal radio you can also email us monoreal at gmail.com if you have 10 face tattoos please don't get mad at me though i would not hire you for my dining room okay so with all that being said thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on monoreal radio the looks i'm getting right now uh, be sure to follow us on the social media of course like subscribe and rate us on your podcast platform of choice uh the links to all the social media the podcast the email everything is online at monorealradio.com for jackie i'm sean have a magical week everyone on behalf of monoreal radio we'd like to thank you for joining us
2: we'll see you at the movies the stuff dreams are made of